Welcome to the Gottesdienst crowd, where we foster confessional integrity, liturgical preservation, and preaching that doesn't stink. We believe that the historic liturgy of the divine service is more than mere cobwebs of antiquity, but it is a true treasure of the church to be dusted off and brought down from her attic to be enjoyed. So let's get dusting. Welcome back to the Godestine's Crowd. This is Jason Broughton. Today we have back with us David Ramirez. He is the pastor of St. Paul Lutheran Church in Union Grove, Wisconsin. Welcome back, Ramirez. Yeah, glad to be back on. Yeah, it's good to have you. Um, so you gave a presentation at the Bugenhagen Conference, uh, one of the small sectionals, and I wanted to have you on to uh, discuss that, but to kind of set it up just to get people ready. I want you guys to imagine that you've been given two buttons, kind of like that meme, the, the the Daily Beast meme, where the guy has to make a decision between pushing one button or the other. And on one button is said, I win. Like me and my family, we win. We're victorious over everything. And then comes into view the second button that says, but my enemies lose. And then you realize that if I push the first button, it's just like pushing the second button. Because if I win, that means my enemies lose. So it's really the big like question for you all. Yeah. But the big question is, what if the button just says my enemies lose? Would you push the button? Like, would you be able to do it? And on the one hand, you know, it's easy to say, you know, yeah, I want to win. But that always comes at a cost of those that you are either contending with that they lose. And so really, I think as we move forward in our day, we have to come to grips with the fact that our desire to win necessitates that those that we are contending against lose. So would you push that button? Yeah. I mean, um, I, I remember, um, you you saying like would you would you would you push the button would you smash the button and you you were you were using this kind of schema or you were referencing the meme uh, in 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 conversing with uh, John Harris and um, I uh, you know when he, when he was talking about different uh, different people in and different categories of people in 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 the churches. Of America and how they respond to wokeness, and um, I, I really, really appreciated the conversation between you guys, and you know I, I really liked his kind of like scheme of different responses and everything. But then, um, you know, your your response to him, or one of the points you made about um, who who is willing, because like the meme is like the guy's sweating; he's like he doesn't know if he's gonna you know, which button to press, but, you know, would you press the button if it was just, uh, my enemies lose. And I think the hesitancy in, uh, Christians or at least modern Christians is, is wrapped around the idea of, uh, kind of the idolatry of niceness and thinking that, Mm -hmm. that niceness is, uh, you know, the highest or the most holy virtue out there. And obviously, we are told to love our neighbors, or even told to love our enemies. But it really does a disservice to the biblical witness if we think 
that niceness is a substitute or uh, you know equal to faithfulness that being faithful mm-hmm. just means being nice but that is a disease in the modern uh, you know the modern Christian churches by and large in the West and so I, I really think that that that's a that's a great way to talk about it that, that you've laid out and it's tightly connected to you know that misused mangled verse uh, when Jesus says judge not everyone thinks that that means oh well you can't be judgmental now I, I, I know it, the easiest way to refute this is by even saying judge not you are you are setting up a standard <laughs> and so it's a self-refuting yeah. interpretation I mean it's kind of silly like you're not allowed to judge things well that in and of itself is a standard and is a judgment mm-hmm. in a sense um, but well the, the then he goes on to tell you how to judge <laughs> Yeah, exactly. He says, right, you know, right. When you yeah, judge, <laughs> exactly. Yeah, precisely. And you know, I mean, the the point of the scriptures there and elsewhere is that the problem with those people who he's condemning for judging, their problem is not that they have a standard that they are judging according to a standard abstractly, and that's the problem. But rather that they're judging uh, and and making judgment calls and condemning things based on a false standard and not. God's standard, not according to the word of God. And and we see this, uh, uh, you know, made very clear with Jesus, not only uh, in, in, in where Jesus in Matthew and Luke says, judge not, but also in, in John chapter 7, where he literally tells us to judge with right judgment. So the issue is not whether we should hold people to a standard or evaluate things according to a standard or not. But the, the question is, is what standard are you going to use? Everyone judges, everyone holds up activities, thoughts, beliefs, desires, uh, speech, and every, uh, anything else, um, thoughts, words, and deeds and desires and, and compares it to a standard. The only question is what standard are you going to use? Are you going to use God's word or not? Um, right. So with, with kind of that prolegomena uh, introductory stuff out of the way, I think that gets us back to a permutation of judge not because uh, I think a lot of people are operating, you know, Christians, faithful Christians, good Christians uh, who are confused um, or they, they, they feel guilty when they're not nice because they have confused or have been confused by others about equating what they in their Christian life are to do with, you know, be nice, you know, be, be nice to others. Now, you know, generally speaking, being nice, isn't the worst uh, advice in the world, (laughs) but, but, but if being nice to the detriment of protecting your family, Oh, we should be nice to the intruder. Oh, someone wants to kill, rape, steal. Oh, let's be nice. Well, if being nice equates never, uh, stopping someone always being indulgent oh well you know they just spoke horrible heresy let's just be nice about it and if you can't say something good don't Mm -hmm. say anything at all that can be good advice in many circumstances but not in all circumstances and so i think that uh it's really helpful to phrase uh you, you know to use a certain phrase with with people who are struggling with this and this isn't just uh advice to uh brother pastors out there who are listening, even though I think it's very helpful in in pastoral ministry to ask it in this particular way. But also, I think it is very helpful for 
fathers, mothers, maybe even sons and daughters and, and others who are talking to their family members, talking to their coworkers, talking to their, you know, friends at, at school or um, in the neighborhood or in their town or whoever, is to ask this question, you know, can you be more merciful than God? And I think that it, it being phrased in that particular way is very helpful because of course, no one is going to want to say yes. <laughs> Can you be more merciful than God? They know it's a trap, right? <laughs> you know, <laughs> they, <laughs> they know it's a trap. But sometimes when, when you are truly trying to help someone think through something, you phrase it in a way that they know it's a trap, but even though that they know it's a trap, even they know that you that you do indeed love them and want them to grow in wisdom and understanding. And so they go, okay, I see what you're doing, but they still think about it, right? And then you can open up the mm-hmm. discussion. But I think phrasing it in that way is very helpful. Can can you be more merciful than God? In, in, unless you want to obviously look like a fool or an idiot, what are you going to say? No right? No, no, you can't be more merciful than God, right? Yeah, obviously you can't. And yet I think our job, um, not again, not just as pastors helping, uh, you know, parishioners, but also, um, you know, spouses, maybe talking to some, you know, their, 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 their husband or wife, uh, parents talking to their children, family members talking to each other, uh, coworkers, uh, Christian friends trying to talk with one another, uh, you, you know, it's one thing to kind of diagnose uh, the problem that someone is having, whether that that is exposed because they think it's not Christian to actually condemn something, or it's not Christian mm-hmm. to say no to someone, or it's not Christian to, uh, you know, let, let's get more into the physical or civil realm, you know, to send someone to jail or to punish someone, you know what I mean? Uh, because this sounds judgy. But another angle besides deconstructing the false understanding of judge not is to say that phrase or ask the question, can you be more merciful than God? And then they say no. And once they say no, you kind of have them in a lock. You know, okay, well then how does God act? And what actions and statements and behavior does God bless in the scriptures? What Mm -hmm. does God expect? And also, what does God do? Not that we're God and we can totally do everything that he does, but he does provide many things for us as examples and things that we should strive to live up. I mean, as St. Paul says in the upcoming epistle for this, well, this coming Sunday, I don't know when this is going to air, but for you know, this upcoming Sunday, which maybe people have already heard because they're listening to this a couple of weeks later, um, is, you know, keep in step with the spirit, right? You know what I mean? So yeah. uh, we try to strive to be perfect as our heavenly father is perfect. And so I think the way you phrase this is, is, is really important. Can you be more merciful than God? And then people will say, well, no, of course not. Why? Why? Because God is merciful and, and, and he's more merciful than us. He loves more than us and, he, and he's perfectly merciful and perfectly loving and perfect in every single way. So now you have shifted the discussion from an abstraction. Let's be nice, um, you know, or don't judge or, well, we should always be merciful, which means indulgence, right? To let's actually open up the scriptures. Let's actually look at the word of God and see what God does and see what his servants uh, are blessed for doing 
and and see what he expects and maybe that can shape our understanding of how to be merciful and when to be merciful and what to do in terms of uh, uh, you know judging or punishing or, or or whatnot because we can't be more merciful than God mm-hmm. and can there any can there be any concept of mercy outside of justice no absolutely not because because you know what is the definition of mercy is that you are giving someone something or forgiving someone something uh, that is undeserved right you know Mm -hmm. that is undeserved i mean tightly connected to the understanding of mercy is forgiveness right so if you owe me a debt you owe me a hundred dollars you know it makes no sense to talk about forgiveness it makes no sense to talk about um uh you know mercy concerning that debt unless there is an acknowledged and understood uh under you know understood understanding (laughs) that it would be wrong for you not to pay me what you said you would pay me or give me what you're going to give me you know Mm -hmm. so uh and and this is why also incorporates an understanding of the law or a standard exactly absolutely yeah without a standard mercy is meaningless you know, without mm-hmm. an understanding, well, you said justice before, but you might as well say law or a standard. I mean, love has a shape. It's not just some yeah. abstraction. Um, you know, it has a shape. And we would say it, it you know, love fundamentally is, is, is a person, right? You know, um, or <laughs> uh, the triune God, right? God is mm-hmm. love. He doesn't just love, but he is God. Uh, he, he is love. And so this is why, honestly, our, you know, modern antinomians or soft antinomians or or radical Lutherans or whatever you want to call them, um, it's not just like they, uh, when when they say things like, you know, let's just, you know, get rid of the legal scheme. It's like, (laughs) do you understand what you're saying? You you are attacking um, who God is. You're attacking a good standard. The problem is not the law. The problem is sin. And you don't mm-hmm. understand that by attacking the law and attacking the quote-unquote legal scheme, you're actually destroying the essence of the gospel. Because that's, of course, the, 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 you know, the problem. You, you know, the, by, by, by throwing out the law, by not appreciating who God is and what his eternal will is, they, they wind up just utterly destroying the concept of mercy and thus destroying the gospel itself. It, it really is just, I mean, it's just, it, it would be funny if it wasn't so evil. Yeah. So it's a bit ironic, isn't it? That in the hopes of being more nice and more merciful, they actually destroy the thing that they're trying to accomplish. Yeah, in other, Like who pays for that? We all do. Well, yeah, well, exactly. And, and that's exactly where I wanted to go next. Who pays when you are more merciful than God? Because when there are debts, someone always pays, right? That's the mm-hmm. thing. Like, in, in, unless we are going to be a bunch of existentialists, unless we're just going to, like, toss out reality, then debts are real. I mean, this is the whole point about the quote-unquote legal scheme, you know, uh, that we find in Scripture, which is to say the actual law of God and that we actually have debts. 
uh, I mean, the, uh, the, the folks, uh, you know, this was popular back several decades ago, who used to say the father sending the son to be crucified and making, you know, Jesus endure all of this is like divine child abuse. Do you remember when this was popular or you heard about it oh, anyway? Yeah. yeah. So this was very popular a couple decades ago. Uh, I kind of was aware of it on the tail end of it. Uh, you know, uh, so if there isn't a real debt of sin, if God is not a God of justice, um, if the, if, if the father does not really need to be satisfied by the only thing that can satisfy his wrath, which is, um, you know, the, the, the atoning sacrifice of his divine son made flesh so that he can lead a perfect life and die a perfect death for us. You know, all the basic stuff in the Bible and in our catechism. If that, if, 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 if none of that is true, uh, if God could have just said, hey, you know what? Don't worry about the debt. It doesn't matter. Nobody has to pay it. Then, then what, what our heavenly father told Jesus to do was, was just, sick and twisted it wasn't necessary it you know these mm -hmm. these people talking about divine child abuse would be correct now and now for us mere mortals um uh you know where the rubber hits the road for us about you know who pays when you're more merciful than god well n not to bring up too nasty of uh, an example but you know what if um if you are part of a family let's say and you know that an one of your adult children is is hurting whether that be just being mean or think about well don't think about it but you know them doing vile nasty horrible things to some of their siblings who are younger and weaker and you go well i'll be nice i won't i i i'm not going to say anything i don't want to judge i don't want to punish i don't want to well, somebody's going to pay the price, and it's going to be those poor little kids. Now, maybe you say, yep. well, no one would do that. They might say, well, let's ship him off, right? But I, I, I want to be nice. I don't want to tell the police, you know? Now, sometimes, not crimes like that, but lesser matters can be sorted out sometimes, uh, you, you know, without having to uh, result in big, you know, jail time or executions and stuff like that. I'm not talking about that. I'm talking about someone who's doing despicable, horrible, evil things, um, you know, knowing the recidivism rate of predators and you decide to just ship them off or just, uh, you, you know, say, well, we're not going to talk about it and I'll, I'll protect my own. Guess what? Somebody else pays, you know? I mean, that's like mm -hmm. all these people who say, hey, all I can think about is I, I, I'm, I, just have, I just have a gospel heart. I just have a heart for people who have messed up, and I want them to, to do better and be rehabilitated. You know what? Great. That's fine. That's wonderful. But at what cost to other people? Are you, how far are you willing to go? And, and that's mm -hmm. the thing. Um, you know, God does give people chances. He does warn people. He doesn't snuff out smoldering wicks. He doesn't break bru broken, uh, bruised reeds. But he doesn't allow those people to, uh, he, he doesn't let other people 
pay the price for that um, in, in, in the sense of like, hey, I'm just going to allow everyone to be hurt because you're such a monster and I'm, I'm going to... No, he actually draws lines. I don't want to get into all the specifics of when you draw and when you punish and all that kind of stuff. That's not the point. But the point is, is that he does draw lines. He does punish. He does judge activities. And so should we. And we see that all through the Old and New Testament. So yeah, I mean, I think God is very clear that we do smash the button. Sometimes when we uh, win, others are going to lose. And that, uh, I mean, th- th- you know, that's kind of one way to put it, but I, I would include underneath that. Sometimes um, not only are we going to proclaim true doctrine, but we are also going to what? Reject and condemn. That's how our confessions are set up. Uh, you know, believe, teach, and confess. But that also necessitates us to reject and condemn contrary things. You don't just get get to be positive all the time. Many times you mm-hmm. need to make judgments, you need to be negative, and that will result in punishment, you know, condemnation, all of those other things. And we see that all through the Bible. So um, I, I don't know, can, can we jump to some examples of kind of old yeah, and, just, and New Testament? Yeah, before we get there, I mean, what do you, is this been a, an ongoing problem throughout history? Or is this something somewhat unique today that there's a reticence to to reject and condemn a reticence to um, to say this is out of bounds and needs to be punished uh, and a desire to well really be more merciful than God yeah so I I, I don't want to say that it's unique to today but I would uh, say that it is uh, it, it's a bigger problem today than most times Um Okay. So, um, so you know, kind of like when we talk about virtue, uh, you know, take something like courage. Um, on one hand, if you're not courageous enough, then you're a coward. But on the other hand, people who don't even think and they have no sense of when to do something and when not, we would call them what, like foolhardy or rash, right? You know? Yeah. So I, I do think that this is something where, you know, there's 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 two ditches at least where um, niceness uh, is really uh, you know there's the guise of niceness, but it's really indulgence, and and mm-hmm. so we can we can slope to that side, and that is more of like a antinomian um, error, you know, and a you know non-judgmental you, you know type type of uh, fault. On the other hand, I mean, th- there is always uh, the kind of being too cutthroat, uh, you know, legalistic. Yeah. Nope. We gave you a chance. That's it. We're not going to take into account circumstances or anything. We don't really care about you. Uh, we're not even going to pray for our enemies. We, you know, I mean, we, we, we don't care anything about it. You're, you, you know, once you, you're done. Um, yeah. So yeah, there, there's problems on both sides, but think about today in, in the modern West, um, thanks to a lot of foolishness, our, our physical prosperity uh, is is on the wane, but we still live in in, in a very prosperous society, uh, you know, comparative to the historical record of the nations. And so we have the luxury to to be more indulgent. Uh, we also live in the age of feminism, and um, now I know some people will say that you know mom was the disciplinarian at home, and that's true for a lot of families. However, um, that's not actually typically, uh, you know, how uh, 
the sexes fall down on this question. Uh, typically, it is the guy is more of the uh, you, you know nope this is a rule and women tend to be more concerned with exceptions and that's why men and women work so well together when things are going well and they understand each other because guys mm -hmm. are more apt to insist upon rules and uh, and women are more apt to to view things from from exceptions um mm -hmm. so anyway i th that's kind of a long aside but no i don't think it's unique to our time but i think it is especially problematic right now i mean you go back uh, into other eras, and I think we would be laughed at. Well, we're not supposed to judge because we're Christians. I mean, it, 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 every age has its foolishness and its ridiculousness. But if you were to yeah. take, uh, you know, someone from our context and send them to basically any other era and be like, well, Christians aren't supposed to judge, I think that they would be laughed out of the room because it is just kind mm -hmm. of silly. Meaning, well, we're not supposed to hold people to a standard you know, or, uh, well, they're forgiven. So that means there can't be any, uh, you know, uh, earthly temporal consequences. Uh, we just have to totally forget what happened and pretend like it didn't happen be or, or else we don't believe in the gospel. I mean, we, we just be left out of the room. It's just so, it's so silly and it's so unbiblical. Uh, it's, it, mm -hmm. it's not a serious. People don't, don't believe this for long. I, I know that there's lots of people who have been, even taught this and so i'm not trying to insult people by saying that but if you do honestly think about it you already know that that's not how you can function nobody can function yeah. in a household by saying nope no punishment of course you know so instead of feeling bad about actually judging or punishing or enforcing standards we should actually look to the scriptures and say, no, I'm not called to be more merciful than God. And this is how God behaves. And this is how his heroes behave who have been set down, uh, imperfect heroes, of course. Right. It's, it's silly. I even have sure. to, you know, make that caveat, but whatever. Um, you know, so, uh, no, I'm, I'm not sitting there feeling guilty, like some sort of pietist who's like, Oh, you know, I wasn't nice because I punished my child or I wasn't nice because I told someone who stole money that they can't be, you know, the church treasurer anymore. I guess I'm just not nice enough. No, you should, <laughs> you should say, this is what God wants me to do. Right. You know, yeah, sure. Be careful about not becoming a Pharisee, but you know, that's, uh, that's not really the point. So, yeah. well, I mean, if there are two ditches and you can fall off, on either side, um, geez, uh, obviously we want to go right down the middle, but they're both errors. And so you're going to learn by committing both errors, either yeah, in absolutely. this situation by being too lenient or in that situation by being too harsh. And that is part of how God actually teaches you, not only through his scriptures, but also through the school of experience. When you are too yeah. harsh, you can recognize that. And when you are too lenient, you pay the price. Yeah. Yeah. It, well, or maybe you don't, but somebody else does, right? You know? Yeah. Um, yeah. Yeah. And, you know, I, I, I think that's totally true. Like, sometimes we're going to goof up on this, and that's why we got to study the scriptures. But kind of back to your point, there are two dish 
ditches. And if you don't know one of them or you don't acknowledge its existence, or if you think it's actually where you should be, you know, oh, I'm, I'm going to be super nice always and never judge and never punish and never hold anybody to a standard, then then you're never going to be right down the middle, neither turning to the left or to the right, as the scriptures say, you know? Right. So I think everybody well, today... I think that the, um, you know, the big point is that today people think, you know, well, if I'm going to make a mistake, I want to make a mistake on this side of the ditch and not on that I side of the ditch. I want to err on the side of the gospel, right? Yeah. <laughs> right. Every, everyone's favorite phrase, which is hilarious <laughs> because what do you mean err, <clears throat> err on the side of the gospel? To use some uh, language that I don't personally subscribe to, but... Um, that's turning the gospel into law. That's law talk, right? <laughs> you know, I want to err on the side of. I mean, it, w this doesn't make any sense. How could you err on the side of the gospel? The gospel narrowly defined is what? Jesus Christ has paid for all of your sins, and he has died for you, right? Basic, mm -hmm. narrow definition of the gospel. Um I want to err on that side. How could you err on that side? Either either you state it clearly and unambiguously or not. That 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 actually makes it, it's a nonsense sentence. I want to err on the side of the gospel. If you're using that phrase, please, 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 just stop. Don't use it anymore because what you are really saying is, I want to err on the side of not punishing someone, which actually is a totally different right. question than how you are preaching the gospel. You know. There is somebody who does horrific crimes. I'm going to preach the same gospel to them as uh, as, as 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 if uh, you know somebody does something that isn't that big of a deal. They need a slap on the wrist and they go mm -hmm. on their merry way. I'm going to preach the same gospel. The question is a question, frankly, of the law and of circumstance and particularity and wisdom on what should you do in this situation. The gospel is going to be the same no matter what. So erring on the side yeah. of the gospel makes no sense at all. It's it's very silly. And it's planning Who, for error. It's planning to be in error. Yeah, it's, it's cloaking your indulgence. And yeah. either it's cloaking... Either it's cloaking your indulgence that you actually think is what you're supposed to do, um, and that's a problem, or it's cloaking uh, your cowardice of actually calling someone out or, or punishing them, you know? Mm -hmm. So either way, it's not good. Yeah. It's just a silly phrase. Yeah. Like the gospel, yeah. again, the premise is the gospel is being nice and the law is being mean or being tough. That, that, that That's not what the law and the gospel are. So, mm -hmm. yeah. But I love how this runs so through old and new. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. Well, let's jump in. So, the, so there's lots of examples in the old and new Testament of, of, of this. And again, I am not trying to line out examples of falling into both ditches. That's not what I'm trying to do. So, uh, I'm trying to show how, um, you can't be more merciful than God. And if you're talking about how God deals with people, um, let's see how sometimes he judges and expects others to judge and how he expects people um, to also punish. And all of this stuff, uh, I, I'm very well aware that different people in different stations of life are going to have different duties. But I like to go to some of these very physical examples because they're very visceral. 
And it really is kind of like cold water or a slap in the face to us to have to deal with some things that if you think the gospel means being nice, then it's going to make you uncomfortable or the person that you're talking to and trying to explain this to uncomfortable. But that's actually good. It's going to make them think about this. Can you be more merciful than God? Hey, God ordered the death of all these people. God told Joshua to wipe out the Canaanites. You know, I mean, that's going to force people to think about what does it mean when I say, well, I need to be merciful or I need to be nice and actually reflect God's mercy and God's perfection. So let's jump into Exodus 32, if that's okay. Yeah. So um, this is when the, the Israelites are, you know, at the foot of Mount Sinai and they're worshiping the golden calf. And then um, Moses comes down and this is 32:25. And when Moses saw that the people had broken loose, for Aaron had let them break loose to the derision of their enemies, right? You know, Aaron, Aaron was more merciful than God. He was more indulgent than God. He let him build a golden calf, <laughs> you know? <laughs> but Moses is not going to have any of that. And so he comes down, and then Moses stood in the gate of the camp and said, Who is on the Lord's side? Come to me. So obviously, this this is after Moses has already, you know, uh, thrown the tablets and all this kind of stuff. And um, he's already taken the calf and burned it. So most of the people are under control. But this wild, orgy, party, disgusting pagan wor worship service is still raging, at least among some of the people. So they, they really don't have much of a choice on how to, how to get this mob... Um, this riot under control. Mm -hmm. Yeah, this is actually a good, a good um, example in terms of uh, in in terms of uh, thinking about riots. Uh, I mean, mm -hmm. our country experienced riots back in 2020, and uh, it was really, uh, I think, disgusting how different uh, you know executives or magistrates did not crush those riots. Now, again, I'm not saying that you don't give people a chance to go home and calm down, but there, but, but our magistrates erred on the wrong side. Um, yeah. And who paid the price? All those shop owners, all those people who got hurt and um, uh, there were deaths, you know? I mean, it, it, mm -hmm. who knows what evil, horrible crimes happened? Uh, you, you know, we'll never know all of it. And uh, Moses is, is not going to do that. He's going to bring it under control. So he says, who is on the Lord's side? Um, and, and interesting how he says that, because he is the Lord's prophet, and he, and he properly understands uh, what's going on here. Come to me. And all the sons of Levi gathered around him, and he said to them, thus says the Lord God of Israel, put your sword on your side, each of you, and go to and fro from gate to gate throughout the camp, and each of you kill his brother and his companion and his neighbor. That doesn't sound very nice to me. Doesn't sound very merciful. Mm -hmm. Now again, I'm not saying that they didn't walk up to people and if they said, "Okay, we're done," you know, and they come to their senses, that's when you actually use some common sense and some recognition of particular circumstances, and you go, "Okay, disperse," right? You know. But people who would not yeah. calm down, they struck them down, and three thousand men of the people fell. Yeah, the sons of Levi did according to the word of Moses. And guess what happens to those Levites? And Moses said, Today you have been ordained for the service of the Lord, each one of you at the cost of his son and of his brother, so that he might bestow a blessing upon you this day. 
if you want to talk about a uh, New Testament parallel that we'll see here and also later on with uh, Asa, um, you know, he who loves father or mother more than me is not worthy of me. Or he who does mm -hmm. not hate father and mother is not worthy of me. Uh, so we're loyal to God above all. And so, yeah, if your understanding of mercy, if your understanding of the gospel, if your understanding of God uh, being love can't handle uh, the Lord blessing the Levites for going and killing 3,000 people who were uh, breaking loose, then maybe you need to rethink about your, you rethink your understanding about God's law and God's gospel and, and, mm -hmm. and how you think about mercy. Yeah, because what was um, at stake? What was at stake for the whole camp? Yeah, if, if they don't get this under control, um, the, the riot will continue. And also God's anger is going to come down on them. That's a huge theme all, all throughout the scriptures, both Old and New Testament. You know, if you tolerate evil in your midst, not only will there be temporal problems and consequences, but also you're going to bring down God's wrath on you. That's why even, mm -hmm. you know, even in America, in the colonies and in the early um, states, they had blasphemy laws, you know? Yeah. Uh, mm -hmm. <laughs> we are not going to allow people to publicly blaspheme the name of the Lord and thus bring down God's wrath on us. That, that That's just a basic understanding of God's holy name, you know? Mm -hmm. Okay. Uh, Phineas is a good one too. Um, Numbers 25. Mm -hmm. I know I'm kind of running through these fast, but I, I just think it's, I mean, each pastor who's listening to this or each Christian who is listening to this and thinking about how to talk about this and apply it to whoever, whoever, whether you need to hear it or other people need to hear it, you know, I'm just trying to kind of scattershot a whole bunch of examples so you can pick and choose what's most helpful for you. So in Numbers 25, um, you know, this is uh, near the end of the wilderness period. and uh, the Moabites want to get Israel in trouble with the Lord. And so they, you know, they make sure that some of their, you know, daughters and some of the Midianite daughters, you know, women go into the camp of Israel and get the Israelites or at least some of them to, you know, engage in fornication. And um, because, because they've given up trying to curse Israel, but they think, well, if we can get Israel to sin, then the Lord will punish them. Um, mm -hmm. so who saves the day? Well, it's actually Phineas, uh, in 2510. And the Lord said to Moses, Phineas, the son of Eliezer, son of Aaron, the priest has turned. Oh, I'm sorry. <laughs> I, I forgot to say what he does. He sees, um, one of the Israelites bring a Midianite woman, uh, and, you know, go, uh, into, into a, into a tent, and, uh, you know, with the obvious intent to, to sleep with her. And so Phineas goes and he executes them. And I say executes instead of just kills because he is an official in Israel. And so he, mm -hmm. he is not just a random person doing vigilante justice. So he goes and he sticks them through with a spear uh, while they're engaged in what they're engaged in. And this is known as the zeal of Phineas. And it is interesting that the zeal of one of the faithful uh, turns back God's wrath against the Israelites. Um, you know, the Lord says this to Moses in 
verse 11. Phinehas, the son of Eleazar, son of Aaron the priest, has turned back my wrath from the people of Israel, in that he was jealous with my jealousy among them. So, you know, I have heard lots of people say things like, well, maybe God hates sin, but it's too dangerous for us to hate. You know, or maybe God is righteously angry, but it's too dangerous for us to be angry because mm-hmm. we might do it sinfully. Of course, we're going to do it sinfully. That that I mean, the abuse of something doesn't deny its proper use. And here is Phineas, who um, he was jealous with my jealousy, says the Lord. So yes, we are to be jealous for the Lord. Yes, we are to be zealous for the Lord. Yes, we are to be righteously angry. Um, like the Lord is righteously angry. And of course, we shouldn't fall into the other ditch either, but to, to deny its proper use is, is really just kind of silly. Uh, the Lord yeah, continues so that I did not. There's a, a point here that you brought up that, you know, he did this, Phineas did this in his office as a judge, right? Moses yeah. specifically tells the judges to go forth and to kill those of the men who have yoked themselves to Baal Peor. And so there is a certain uh, linking of this to your office and, and keeping that in mind, like this is not just like the general, um, like a general command for us all to just kind of go out and do whatever we want. That is not what you're right. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. But yeah, but to not not to be queasy about doing what you are specifically called to do in your place where God has put you, uh, right. which is sometimes executing justice or executing the being the executive of God's wrath for that particular thing or action. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, and it's kind of funny where where there are those who. I would say have, a, have, you know, kind of uh, more than a tinge of pietism in them who would say, like, well, you're 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 just unwilling to be as merciful as God is. You know, it's it's so pietistic because um, you're just basing it upon your feeling about what God should do instead of looking to the Word of God, which is much actually more difficult. You know. It's easy to just be like, oh, we should always just be indulgent. We should always just be nice. We should always just be merciful. You know, actually, mm-hmm. what God calls us to do is, <clears throat> yes, as a Christian, I have everything. I need nothing. I have the forgiveness of sins. I have Christ Himself. But He's also called me to be not of, but also in the world. I mean, obviously, not of the world, but but we're in the world. And so he's also called me not to just be a Christian, uh, y- you know, who has no duties in the world except believing mm-hmm. in the Lord, but also mm-hmm. to love my neighbor, which means I need to consider my station uh, according to the Ten Commandments. And I, as a father, you know, if someone invades my house or as a, as a man, someone invades my country, certainly I should still pray for my enemies for their repentance, but also I should defend my family and I should repel, yeah. uh, you know, an invading force. And so, mm-hmm. you know, when I'm called upon to do so by, by, you know, by the proper authorities. 
And, and so, yeah, absolutely. This has to do with our station. And so that's where, mm-hmm. you know, talking about erring on the side of the gospel is, is, is kind of ridiculous. Instead, we should say, no, what is my duty? What is my duty in this situation? Well, Phineas's duty was this person was obviously flaunting the fact that, I mean, he, 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 he walks this, uh, this gal um, right by the tent of meeting. He's flaunting what he's about to do. And he goes in there and, and this is to the point where it's like, there's always going to be sin in a community, but Moses and everyone is just like, this is horrible. We are all just going to fall into horrible shame and vice. You know, I think that's even the catechism too, but um, (laughs) it's like, (laughs) but, but, but you know, this is Phineas's job and he is kind of the tip of the spear in a way of he's the one who actually starts smashing the button as you would say he does the hard thing that is necessary but not just because it's necessary but because it's faithful and this is what god expects mm-hmm. us to do he expected uh the levites to do it he expected phineas to do it and then if you really want to get to a very brutal example because again i i, I think these examples that are very visceral help us consider who our god is not the god in our imagination not the god that you know um, you know, you, you, you got a conception of from different people, but it kind of got muddled into, you know, following God just means being nice. But the God of the Bible, the God who actually reveals himself. Um, I think one of the most visceral examples is uh, the conquest of Canaan. You know, mm-hmm. I mean, uh, you read Joshua, Joshua left none remaining, you know, uh, when he fought these wars. Now, this was not the norm. The norm was that you followed the, the, you know, the Israelites were told to follow basically uh, just war theory. I mean, they didn't call it that, but that's what we call it. You know, distinguishing between combatant and non-combatant, fighting, you know, proper just wars. But no, God told them, you're going to be the instrument of my wrath. And this isn't something for you to decide when and where to do, but I'm going to use you to wipe out the Canaanites because I've given them chance after chance and their sin has come to fruition. And so, yeah, Joshua 10, he left none remaining and did not hold back from, you know, even killing condemned Kings. And, um, this is where I think it really fits in with your whole idea of like, press that button, smash the button. Um, and don't be, uh, you know, shy about it. Obviously, you don't want to be bloodthirsty, but you don't want to shrink back from what you know is good, because uh, you know Joshua defeats these five uh, Canaanite or Amorite kings, and then he summons all the men of Israel in ten twenty four, and he says to the chief chiefs of the men of war who had gone with him, "Come near, put your feet on the necks of these kings." Then they came near and put their feet and uh, put their feet on their necks. And Joshua said to them, "Do not be afraid or dismayed. Be strong and courageous, for thus the Lord will do to all your enemies against whom you fight." And then he kills them. And this is a big deal because, you know, if you kill another soldier on the battlefield, that is expected, you know. But if you mm-hmm. kill a king, that's going to enrage a whole people. And so this is like, no, we are not just in for a penny. We are in for a pound. We are going to be faithful. Mm-hmm. And so Joshua is telling them to smash the button, drive, drive your foot into their neck. Um, we are executing these people. We're not going to shrink back. And so, again, I think in our context, it's important to say to someone who's struggling with this, 
be strong and courageous, right? We, we, we repeat those words that God said to Joshua, and now Joshua says to these, people, these, these guys, and, you know, be strong and courageous in your, in your fight of faith. Well, that might mean punishing. It might mean judging. It might mean condemning. Mm-hmm. Obviously, if you don't have the station to, you know, execute people, don't do it, right? Don't, I'm not saying be a vigilante yeah. person. But at the same time, it might mean you don't get to let yourself off the hook when your son or your daughter is living with their girlfriend or not going to church. And you just say, well, I want, I just want to be nice. Now, again, Mm -hmm. sometimes there's a time to speak and time to be silent and you want to use wisdom. But if you just think it's a virtue to not call them out, to not condemn their actions, then, you know, that that's a pietistic fantasy. You know, Mm -hmm. God wants us to actually execute judgment. Yeah. Yeah. There is a, as you said, a, a, a wisdom in, in, discerning uh, perhaps even time and place. But if the time and place never happen, then that's yeah, not exactly. having the virtue you know, of that kind of wisdom. I'd like to ask you a little bit about, you know, in our day, a, a, big, um, a, a big counterclaim to what we've been talking about is the notion of a, the theology of the cross, kind of like the, a theology of suffering and that we're just supposed to endure and go along with all this as as these things happen to us um we just suffer through it and that's um and that and that's the proper response um i mean it, it sounds like that's kind of like just instead of the theology of the cross the theology of losing um in in which you know the cross of our lord was actually the instrument by which he was victorious over sin, death, and the devil. And not just that he yeah. suffered it, but that he did something also that was victorious. Uh, how do you respond to that kind of counterclaim? Yeah, so I mean, I, I think that there is this dynamic relationship between the, you know, what seems like losing in, with worldly eyes is actually the victory. Um, but I agree mm-hmm. with you. If you only see the cross as um, losing, then you're missing how, the the irony of how Christ, like you said, is victorious, even though he seemingly loses. I mean, this is why Saint Paul talks about like you know the cross is 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 a scandal and foolishness to to you know to to, to others, to unbelievers, right? Um, so mm-hmm. so there is. So, so there, there is that kind of dynamic um, reversal and irony that's going on there. But no, I, I mean, I don't have like some problem in and of itself with the, uh, with the term in and of itself, theology of the cross. However, I, I mean, I know other people have pointed this out. This is nothing new, but uh, theology of the cross was a term that, that Luther just did not use that much. It wasn't like a, uh, a, you know that term. That term. I mean, you could say it was a theme, and he talked about it in different ways. I mean, that that's a different argument. But but the term, uh, you know, I guess I don't have a big problem with. Sometimes how it is promoted, it does seem like a theology of losing, and not just a theology of losing and losing being a virtue, but uh, in some ways connected to what we're talking about in a very insidious way 
that 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 it is pious and wonderful and virtuous to be a doormat for Jesus, you know? Yeah. <laughs> now sometimes, I mean, yeah, I mean, I, I don't know. That's a phrase I, I, I use uh, a lot, actually. Um, you know, <laughs> where are we called to be doormats for Jesus? You know, like, I mean, yes, sometimes we're called to be persecuted, you know, and, but, 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 you know, the old church fathers used to say, you should not, you should not, um, uh, sinfully escape from persecution, right? You shouldn't deny your Lord to get away from persecution, but neither should you run to it either. You know what I mean? And so uh, it, it just seems very strange to me that that people would say, oh, you know, if they're promoting the theology of the cross, like what, what you're talking about, if the theology of the cross is anytime we suffer, well, then that's good, and that's virtuous, or something like that. Again, it's just very, it, it, it's just very strange, and not how we're told to be in the scriptures. I mean, if you mm -hmm. have to suffer for the sake of the gospel, if that's the cross that that God has laid upon you, then fine, go ahead, accept the cross, the crosses that God gives us. And so that you know that might be a good way to talk about the theology of the cross. Andrew Price, Pastor Pastor Andrew Price had a great STM thesis um, on the uh, the cross as kind of a, uh, you know, locus in, in Lutheran uh, orthodoxy. It's a fabulous study. Um, did you interview him on that? I don't even remember. I, I don't recall if I had. Well, if you haven't, I guess I'm, I'm calling you out publicly, so that's not very nice of me, but you really should have him on. Uh, it's, <laughs> okay. it's excellent. <laughs> it's excellent but it, it seems that like you know our lutheran forefathers talked about the cross and the cross and the christian life in a different way than kind of the popularized theology of the cross which again i have no problem with a lot of presentations of that if it's explained well then fine i don't i don't hate the phrase i just it just seems kind of like a fad right now um mm -hmm with without a lot of historical precedence so anyway stick to the sound pattern of words right but um yeah but yeah i mean we're so not Joshua has no mercy that. yeah uh well you know i mean i mean i, I just I, I don't i always go to david and goliath when it comes to this it's like well i guess the nice thing the christian suffering thing to do is to just let goliath kill me and all the army and our family and you know <laughs> rape, pillage, and burn Israel. It's like, come on. That's not what God called these people to do. It's not what he called the New Testament Christians to do either, because sometimes people are like, oh, that's Old Testament. You know, <laughs> What does that mean? Oh, that's Old Testament. What? God was like mean back then, but nice in the New Testament? It's the same God. We haven't become Marcionites. So, I mean, all these things were written for our learning. David is teaching mm -hmm. us how to be a good ruler, how to be a good uh, father. I mean, well, not when he commits adultery, but he he is teaching us how to be a good man when he goes and cuts Goliath's head off. I mean, that that oh, what's the Christian thing to do here? Go cut off the enemy's head. That's the good Christian thing to do, and that's what we need to be able mm -hmm. to unabashedly, without putting up caveats, you know, be able to say, what's the Christian thing to do here? Well, if you're a soldier fighting in a just war and the enemy's coming over the ridge, shoot him dead. That's a Christian thing to do, you know? So, um, yeah, so Joshua should, should show no mercy. This is a, you know, this there's a time 
for mercy, and then there's a time to execute judgment. And, uh, you know, Joshua is, is doing the Lord's work when he shows no mercy. So if your conception of mercy and being nice and thinking that's what God always wants you to do in every circumstance can't handle Joshua and the wiping out of the Canaanites again, that means you need to reevaluate uh, where your mental furniture is and, and how you're thinking about these things. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and the flip side is that uh, in Judges especially, the Israelites are, are condemned uh, for not driving out the Canaanites and mm-hmm. that they were still remaining to test Israel uh, so that they would, and this is all, you, you know, presupposing that they should be smashing that button. They should be punishing their enemies. It's not the time to show mercy. Another really kind of... Uh, horrific example um, in terms of grisly reading is in Judges 20 when um, there is the the rape and the and the and the murder uh, uh, of of the uh, Levite's concubine in Judges 20. Mm, yeah, by the Gabeite, uh, I guess that's how you'd pronounce it. And um, you know the rest of Israel hears about this. And then they say to the Benjaminites, "Hey, give up, give up the people of Gabeah because they're they need to be punished. This is this is outrageous. This cannot stand. It must be punished. It's it, it's it's so vile." And the Benjaminites say no, because they're more merciful than God, because they mm-hmm. even though their brethren, their you know third or fourth cousins in Gabea have done this vile, disgusting thing and they've been doing lots of other horrible, horrible stuff, you know, like the sodomites. Uh, they, they won't give them up. I mean, that's what I'm talking about. Can you be more, more merciful than God? Because that's what you're doing. That's what the Benjaminites are doing. And so the Israelites have to fight the Benjaminites because they refuse to give up Gabea. You see it with Saul and David. Saul mm-hmm. um, starts out uh, you know, very zealous. He goes and rescues Jabesh Gilead, um, punishes the the enemies who attack it in First Samuel 11. But it is very interesting when you compare and contrast Saul and David. Um, Jonathan quickly outstrips Saul in zeal and wisdom in fighting the enemies of the mm-hmm. Lord. You see this in, you know, uh, later on. I can't remember what chapter. but um, And then, uh, you know, when Saul is finally... Uh, rejected by the Lord, it's because he won't smash the button, as you like to say. He lets the Amalekite king live. And, um, Mm -hmm. you know, the famous scene where Samuel shows up after the victory, and the Amalekites, just like the Canaanites before them, were supposed to be utterly wiped out. And, you know, Samuel comes, and he's like, hey, why do I hear the bleeding of sheep? You know? I mean, is that not nice, Samuel? He's being sarcastic, you know. That's not very Christian of him, I guess. But, uh, you know, he is he's sarcastic about all these sheep being around, and then he's angry that Saul let the Amalekite king live. And so Samuel kills him. He hacks him into pieces. It's not very Christian of Samuel, according to the pietists. But according to the word of God, uh, this is a good thing. And um, now, again... According to his office, uh, Samuel does this because he too is a man of Israel and he too knows that the Amalekites are to be wiped out. They're under a very specific curse. 
and he's also, you know, a, a, a ruler in Israel. He's a judge. Um, mm-hmm. So it is according to his office. But think about how it would be according to a pastor's office today, not to physically kill someone, but I mean, you know, I uh, Matthew 18 would be a good example. Yeah. Uh, perhaps. Well, and that's not just the pastor's office either. I mean, that would be for even the voters assembly to say, yes, we need to separate this from the congregation. Yeah, it is an execution. Yeah, exactly. It's like a spiritual declaration and spiritual executing of justice. You are excommunicated. You are removed from the congregation. Um, Mm -hmm. Yeah. So yeah, pastors, preachers of the word, hearers of the word, and also in your family, right? You know, Um, no, you are doing this horrible thing that, um, that, that is intolerable that we've warned you against. You stubbornly are doing this. You're, you're no longer living here. You know what I mean? Uh, you no longer get to come to Thanksgiving dinner. You know, um, we will not, we will not tolerate this. We will not support you. We will not whatever. Again, I'm not saying that anyone makes those decisions lightly or even quickly, but if there isn't a line for you, then that's certainly trying to be more merciful than God. And David, on the other hand, with Goliath is the opposite. He knows his duty. He's not even king yet. And he's acting like the man that God wants him to be as king, to shepherd his people, Mm -hmm. to protect them. And just like his greater son will one day do totally and fully, um, he wants his enemies under his feet. And that's why he cuts off Goliath's head. That's what Jesus is going to do too. A couple more examples, Mm -hmm. if you don't mind. Um, I think the divided kingdom is another period in the Old Testament where you see a lot, a lot of good examples. There's that refrain. I think it was, I think it was Adel, Pastor Scott Adel, who first um, pointed out. uh, I mean, obviously, anyone who reads the divided kingdom period in Kings and Chronicles can recognize the theme of all these kings. And and they still don't tear down the high places. But but it was Adel who I remember <laughs> he was on a kick about this many years back, and and he was like, it doesn't matter whether they've been ruling for like forty years or like two weeks. God still blames them for not going after the high places. <laughs> and so I, I wanted to mention that because it's like that's the same thing. God expects us to be zealous and be smashing that button, you know, and executing yeah. justice and judgment. And punishment, you know, where where and when necessary. But, and, and you see this again, uh, and I guess my point is you see this as a theme all throughout scripture. Elijah and the prophets of, of Baal. I mean, yeah, Ahab won't, I mean, he sees that the Lord sends fire from heaven. The Lord's the true Lord. These, these, these priests of Baal are vile, horrible people who have, who, who are corrupting Israel and bringing down God's wrath. But it's, but it actually is Elijah who, who kills him, you know? Mm-hmm. And um, I think that's kind of an interesting thing that it's actually, it's actually the prophet. It's actually the preacher who takes up the literal sword there after condemning them spiritually, because sometimes obviously we, we believe in the two kingdoms, but the two kingdoms are not like separated by like some wall like, you know, some Americans believe. But um, sometimes, uh, you know, 
the, those swords are, are united. And they certainly uh, are, even in the New Testament on occasion, uh, not in the same way always, but uh, with, mm-hmm. with uh, Ananias, Ananias and Sapphira. I mean, Peter pronounces their doom and God executes them through Peter's word. I mean, he condemns them spiritually and he condemns them phys- to physical death as well. Now, again, he doesn't take out a sword and actually execute them. So I know it's it's not quite apples to apples, but 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 to my bigger point, can you be more merciful than God? Well, you know what does that entail? It it means condemning Ananias, Ananias and Sapphira for their wickedness. It it you know it also should take into account um, you know that wicked prophets should be executed. Um, yeah. Asa is another good one. Second um, Chronicles uh, fifteen. Uh, let me get to that. Yeah, Second Chronicles 15. He's a, uh, you know, he hears the, uh, the, you know, a prophet of the Lord, Azariah, Azariah the son of Oded. This is Second Chronicles 15, 8. You know, and when Asa hears him preaching, you know, about all of Israel's faithfulness and all this horrible stuff, um, he takes courage very similar words to Joshua telling people and what God tells mm-hmm. Joshua. Take, he takes up courage and he put away. He executed judgment, right, on the idolatry and the wickedness going on. So far that he didn't just destroy all the idols in uh, Judah and Benjamin, but also he positively repairs the altar of the Lord and then goes so far, uh, it says in verse 16, even Ma'aka, his mother, King Asa removed from being queen mother because she had made a detestable image for Asherah. Well, that doesn't seem very nice of him. He kicked his mother out <laughs> of her position of power. Now she was still his mother. Queen mother is actually a that, that's a royal post, right? You know that that's a position at court, um, very influential and important one. But he removes her. He strips her of her title, and and it's just hilarious when people will be like, "Oh well, if you if you if you're gonna." enforce temporal consequences, then uh, do you really believe in the gospel? Well, yeah, I do. Just like King Asa, who says, you know, you did this horrible thing. You you made an idol, a detestable image. Uh, you're still my mom, but you also are removed from office. Too bad. Mm-hmm. So, yeah. I mean, he doesn't take down the high places either, though. So, <laughs> uh, And then uh, Ahab, I won't go into that. Uh, Ahab releases Ben-Hadad, um, and he is condemned for that uh, by a prophet of the Lord. Um, and again, who 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 is going to pay for it? Ben-Hadad kept on raiding Israel, so he gets to look all merciful and all all nice. And it is it's like the Pharisees. I mean, you scratch an antinomian, you're going to find a legalist, you know, and a hypocrite. They want praise from men, and so Ahab undoubtedly wants to be seen as generous and, you know, very magnanimous, kind of like Saul with the Amalekite king. But who's going to pay the price? Uh, last but not least, in terms of my examples, uh, is Joash in Second Kings 13. And, mm-hmm. um, you know, he's, he's uh, ruling over Israel in the north. And, um, you know, he's, he's not that great of a guy. Um, but Elisha uh, tells him 
to come. And uh, Joash does. And um, Elisha tells him to take some, it takes a bow and some arrows. And he says, you know, draw the bow and open the window eastward. And then Elijah tells him to shoot and he shoots it. And then Elijah says, uh, the Lord's arrow of victory, the arrow of victory over Syria. And then he gives a prophecy to Joash, for you shall fight the Syrians in Aphek until you've made an end of them. And he said, take the arrows. And Joash took them. And he said to the king of Israel, strike the ground with them. So again, coaches do this all the time, right? You know, uh, hey, okay, we need to, you know, we need to get hyped up. You guys are going to go out there and win. Um, so come on, you, you know, let's, let's do a cheer. Let's do that. And, and if, and if the team goes like something like, hooray, one, two, three, go, right. You know, you're like, what's wrong with you? You're not excited. And this is very similar <laughs> with uh, Elisha, you know, uh, uh, Joash only strikes the ground three times and then he stops. And then Elisha gets angry at him. Uh, is that a sin to be angry? I, I can never keep this straight, but it seems like the Bible thinks it's okay. You should have struck yeah. five or six times. Then you would have struck down Syria until you had made an end of it. But now you strike down Syria only three times. Uh, I mean, again, who's going to pay the price? It's going to be Israel. And and it is. It's yeah. Why aren't you zealous to do that? Now, again, we don't want to fall into either ditch. We should be zealous to be kind and gentle and 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 loving uh to those whom god calls us to be that way towards first and foremost and primarily to our neighbors our nearest neighbors our our family our church family our, our friends people that we know that who who we owe loyalty and duty to the most but even extending out to praying for our bitter enemies that they might repent but we should mm -hmm. also be zealous to uh, execute judgment and condemnation and even punishment uh, when and where God um, wants it and calls us to do so in our in our stations in life and we should be zealous for both and and again I, I, I think it's just so important for us to not fall into a, a typically modern Christian air of you know oh well being nice is the gospel or Christians should always be nice um, you know, that doesn't seem very loving or very gospel-y. Mm -hmm. And that's why that question is so good, uh, that we should say it to ourselves, we should say it to others, uh, where and when it's given for us to do so. Can you be more merciful than God? No, you obviously can't. So let's study our Bible, read the scriptures, so we can understand uh, when and where God calls us to be merciful, when and where he calls us to to you know, execute judgment, and when and where he wants us to actually uh, do and pray for both things. It's it's hard sometimes. Yeah, it it sounds like what you've been talking about here really kind of goes and dovetails well with things that we have discussed at other times, like a Lutheran theology of resistance theory, or um, you know, even the imprecatory Psalms. All. all all those things that seem to our modern ears to be contrary to God's word are actually in line with God's word. And the more that we are attuned to what God has actually said and what he's actually called us to do and to be, the better prepared with that wisdom from on high to, to respond in those situations. 
Yeah, absolutely. I mean, you know, it for, for me anyway, I, I remember being told by some, uh, you know, Christians uh, in my life or, you know, um, people that, you know, that, that I knew and, 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 and again, I'm not thinking about anyone in particular, actually, just kind of like this kind of general undercurrent of, well, we need to be nice and that, that, that wouldn't be the Christian thing to do. But what they really were saying was that wouldn't be the nice thing to do and finding it very different than what the Bible was saying um, especially with some of these very stark examples in the Old Testament, but also in the New Testament mm-hmm. with Jesus flipping tables and having the zeal of the Lord consume him or Ananias and Sapphira, you know, but, but, but yeah, I, I mean, uh, you know, well, was David not being nice? That's what was running through my head, uh, you know, as, as a child. Yeah. And, and I think that that is something that lots of modern Christians have, have struggled with and they've seen the discontinuity. And so, yeah, yeah. I mean, that, that that's why this is something that's always on my mind, not just on my mind, but how to teach it, how to, how to think about it, because it's, it's one of the challenges of our, of our age, in my opinion. To wrap up, are there any resources that you would suggest besides just sitting down and reading these accounts from the Old Testament resources for laity, particularly as they're leading their families in devotions and they're reading these accounts, resources that help them see how these people are doing what God has called them to do and they're being rewarded for it. And these other people are failing to do what God has called them to do and being punished for it. And that that we can't be more merciful than God. Are there resources either modern or from old Missouri that kind of help us bring that uh, understanding to mind. Yeah. Um, so I guess I put you on the spot earlier, so you can put me on the spot now. Um, yeah, I feel unprepared and not ready to answer this question. <laughs> I don't know. Um, I mean, I really do think going through those accounts that I gave is the best thing, but you said that's not, if, if you're thinking about something uh, above and beyond that, um, or in addition to, I don't know. I mean, yeah, that's, that's really a good question. I think well, that, I mean, uh, to, to help you out here, maybe, um, obviously something stuck with you as a child that you began to think about those things. It was, was there something in, in the air at your own home or in your own reading that was instructive in, in helping you bring all of that together to see that it's it's not just a the Bible is not a one trick pony. It's it's not just telling you to be nice, and it yeah, calls I mean, for different responses and under different circumstances. Does that make sense? Yeah, I mean, again, you're not going to like this answer because you you asked for more than this or different stuff. I mean, it it really was reading the Old Testament, and then also reading the New Testament, but in light of the Old, you know? And mm-hmm. and, and and that really was the thing that made me see big discontinuity. Um, but if you're asking for other things, I mean, I honestly think that, again, this is kind of cliche to say, but, you know, reading some of the more modern Anglo-sphere uh, classics, you know, in the English-speaking world like 
you know, Lord of the Rings, Chronicles of Narnia, they're not perfect. Uh, they're not like the only thing that people should read, but honestly, I think uh, those two series talk a lot and are dealing with a lot of questions like this about what to do in different situations. I think uh, uh, um, Tolkien is very sensitive to the issue of vocation and station um, about who has the right or the duty or the office to do certain things and not, you know, I mean, you can think about Mm -hmm. uh, Denethor and Aragorn and things like that about using the, using the scene stones or whatever those things were called. Um, You can, I, I mean, I know that that helped me to be sensitive to that. Um, I think that you can, uh, not just, I mean, what's great about Lewis's Chronicles and Narnia, uh, with, with, with this stuff is that they do punish people and they make fun of modern, uh, C.S. Lewis makes fun of modern schooling, especially in, uh, the fourth book with, uh, Eustace and Jill Pohl, you know, let's just talk to people. Mm-hmm. No, uh, <laughs> just giving them a, a quick swat actually was better <laughs> and people were better when there was you know, swift i mean not abusive punishment but swift justice um so i mean i i'm sure that helped but you know another thing would be um uh in, in terms of uh power and its use and judging and condemning uh and and punishment i i again i think the space trilogy would be good i don't know where i was but someone was uh talking about that wonderful scene and maybe it was in my sectional i don't even remember anymore but uh where ransom this is in the second book where he's like you know what would it just be that easy i've just gotta i gotta just kill this fellow human being who has been possessed by the devil you know it, it, I, yeah. i'm gonna wear out arguing now again I'm not saying go out and be a vigilante, right? You know what I mean? But sometimes I think that Christian parents are like, well, I, I've just got to explain. I've got to teach more. No, sometimes you go, you know what? Little Johnny, little Susie, whoever it is, uh, whether they be little or whether they be adults, um, listen, there's a time to talk and I'll talk with you more if you have questions. But here's my line and I am condemning what you're doing and it is wrong. And if you're a little kid, maybe I punish you or take something away or whatever. Uh, but if you're an adult, obviously, you know, that's not going to happen. Uh, but, <laughs> but I'm, but I'm going to take something else away from you. You know, like I, I'm not going to support you in this, you know, I'm mm-hmm. not, and uh, I'm not going to re- pretend it's okay. And so, and, and so the exercise and use of power is, is, is we are called to do that in a faithful way. And so if that's what you mean by like kind of like a, a crummy version of the theology of the cross is, you know, you never use power. You always just lose. You always just be a doormat for yeah. Jesus. Then then those books are very contrary to that and help delve into a lot of these biblical themes. Um, but honestly, I, I mean, I personally think the word of God is, is more powerful than Narnia and, and the Lord of the Rings. I don't know about you, but uh, so I would say yeah. read the old read the old and new testament so <laughs> it's sounds, funny i like i love good. those books yeah well, I, mean, I love those books but it i sometimes i almost don't want to bring them up because people have like you know it's like their whole world 
All right. uh, Well, hey, thanks for your time, man. I appreciate this is great. Great insight. Uh, Can you be more merciful than God? No, you can't. And uh, and if you start from there and work backwards, looking and exploring the scriptures on how God does execute justice and punishment as well as his mercy, you're on sure footing for being able to begin to execute that same kind of wisdom in your own station and life. So thanks, Ramirez. Always a pleasure. 